Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. Praise God. I have great pleasure in doing the will of God. Amen. Amen. And I'm, you know, um, we work mainly with people who are from Muslim backgrounds, so we have to break it down. And so I'm a real foundations guy, you know, and I wanted to share something with you tonight that is very, very, very foundational to, to us. And I believe uh, some of it will be new to you. Um, some of it won't be. But I've said to our people, I've reminded our congregation many times, the one thing, there's just one thing that God wants from you. And that's what I want to just talk to you tonight about for the time I've got left. This one thing that God wants from you and me. You know, God made man in the beginning for purpose, for fellowship, for relationship. So when man fell, he disobeyed God. It broke that relationship. So the problem today is broken relationship. It's not religion. We have to convince the, the, the Muslim people we're not there to change your religion or bring you a new religion. We're here to tell you about a relationship that your creator wants to have with you. And he's made a way for you. Hallelujah. Amen. And so man didn't lose religion in the garden. He lost relationship. So man's need today is not religion. It's relationship. Amen. And so <clears throat> we see God immediately had a plan that he gave us the first clue in Genesis 3.15. When he spoke to the serpent, God spoke to the serpent, the devil, in the garden. And he said, uh, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And then he goes on and begins to unveil that plan over time. And the best way to see God's plan unveiled is through covenants. My, one of my favorite subjects to teach about in Bible school is blood covenant. And so this is, this is some of what I want to talk to you tonight. And I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version uh, real quick of just uh, the beginning of it. And really it begins, we have, I'm going to simple, simplify it by saying there was two covenants, the new covenant and the old covenant. And to understand the old covenant, it's good to begin with Abraham because God found a man that he could work with. God found a man that he could trust in, in the man Abraham. And so he comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And God gives him big promises. He tells him in verse 1 to leave his land, leave his family, and, go, and he would show him a land, a new place, a new land. And then he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make you a blessing, and you shall bless all nations. Hallelujah. And then he tells him that through him, he would bless all the nations of the earth. God has always been interested in all the nations of the earth. And you need to see the heart of God in this here. From the very beginning, God's heart has always been for all people, all nations. Amen? <clears throat> uh, don't have time to talk about Genesis 13 and 14, but by the time you get to Genesis 15, Abraham's just coming back from this great victory that he had with him and his band of merry men. Uh, probably, I think there was 318 of those that were born in his house that went after four kings and their armies. And they took back all the spoil and the ones they had captured from Sodom and Gomorrah, including his nephew Lot and his family, took them, brought them back to Sodom and Gomorrah again. And then, then he's in, in, you come to 
Genesis 15, the very first verse, he, God comes to him and says, don't be afraid of him, Abraham. I'm going to be your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And immediately Abraham says, but God, I have no heir. I have, you haven't given me the promise you've told me about. All I have is Eliezer, this servant. And, and God comes back at him and says, no, it will not be him. It'll be one born of your own body, your own flesh. And then he tells him, and he says, he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars and count them if you can. So shall your descendants be. Hallelujah. And then <clears throat> Abraham, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then Abraham says something very interesting in verse 8. He says, how will I know? It's important that you see this. How will I know that I will have what you have promised this inheritance. And immediately, in the very next verse, God begins to instruct him to cut animals in half and divide them. And it created this blood-stained path that he, he knew right away God was preparing a covenant. And Abraham knew how absolute covenant was in a covenant relationship and how it cannot be unbroken. And so <clears throat> by the time you get down to verse 13, God says to him, know certainly... He starts in verse 8, he, you know, Abraham's asking, how will I know? And, and God has him prepare for covenant. And then he says, no, certainly, Abraham. And then you know the story and how that he puts him to sleep and he has this dream because Abraham was not ready, could not himself walk that bloodstained path together with God. So he has a dream and he sees a smoking oven and a flaming torch. And that smoking oven was God, the flaming torch was Jesus. And I don't have time to unpack all that for you tonight, but <clears throat> this was the covenant that God was making. And it, Jesus was taking Abraham's place before Jesus ever came in this vision, in this dream. And so you get to Genesis 17, very powerful. God begins to lay it down. He says, this is my covenant. And he never says, this is our covenant. He always says, this is my covenant that I'm making with you. He says it nine times in chapter 17, my covenant, my covenant, my covenant that I'm making with you. What's he saying? It's called an unequal covenant. An unequal covenant is when a big nation comes to a smaller nation and, and they tell the smaller nation, we'll protect you, we'll defend you, but here's the terms and conditions. You either accept it or re you reject it, but you cannot change it. Amen? That's how God comes to us. He lays down the terms and the conditions of the covenant that he wants to have with us, but we can't change it. Amen? But something very, very important happens in this chapter. And, he, and he, he gets to the point where he says, there's one thing I want from you. <clears throat> God says, I'm doing everything else, but there's one thing that I want from you. Anyone know what it is? Circumcision. Circumcision. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Circumcision. And it, it was so important to God in verse 14, in chapter Genesis 17, verse 14. God says, the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That mark, that act of circumcision was so important to God that at a very important time in Moses' life, 
after Moses had the burning bush experience and God was instructing him about what to say to Pharaoh. Then it says God tried to kill him in the camp. God tried to kill Moses. After he's got it all set up for him to deliver his people, he tries to kill him. You're like, what? What's that about? Why would he try to kill him? God raises up a man to deliver his people and then tries to kill him? Well, why? Because of circumcision. He failed to circumcise his son. He knew it. Immediately, he circumcised the child, and whatever it was that was trying to kill him left. It lifted. It went away. That's how important circumcision was to God. There was a point, and there's not time here tonight to cover all the areas, but there's, there's a point where God's people, you know, this is a beautiful picture where God delivers his people out of bondage, out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt, and he, he brings them out for the purpose of bringing them into the promised land. Yeah. And before they could enter the promised land, something had to happen. Before they could enter the promised land. Now, when he brought them out... They didn't trust him. You know the story. They didn't believe in him. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until that generation died with the exception of two, Joshua and Caleb. And so <clears throat> I want to read this to you. Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verses 4 through 9. Joshua chapter 5, verse 4. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them at the all the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out, of, out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who had come out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And I want you to see this link, this connection between obedience and, and circumcision here and, and trusting in God. Obedience because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Are you getting this thing? Yeah, circumcised. So, we, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal literally means to roll away. He said, This is the place where I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This, Gilgal, is for you and me the cross, Gol Golgotha, Calvary. This is where our sins are rolled away and our hearts are circumcised. Our hearts are marked. Amen? And before they could enter the promised land, <clears throat> you know, the, the promised land has been mistakenly understood over the years as heaven. You know, when we all get to heaven, Beulah land and Canaan land being heaven. But I heard Brother Hagin say this, that it can't be heaven because there's no enemies to defeat there in heaven. 
Amen? So what's the promised land? The promised land for us today is all we've become in Christ, all we have and all that's been provided for us in Christ. And yes, for that, we have to fight for it. Hallelujah. We have to take it. Amen? It's ours, just like the promised land was theirs, but they had to march in and take it. Amen? You have to march in and take it. It's not going to sit there and it's going to fall on you. Amen? So before we can enter our promised land, it's important that we understand that circumcision was required. They could not enter. This is huge once you understand. This one condition meant everything to God, and it still does. Circumcision. It's interesting at Gilgal in 1 Samuel chapter 15 was where um, Saul was rejected as king. Because he wanted to add to with his works when God, all God wanted was his obedience and trust. Amen? We can't add to our salvation. You understand that, right? We can only accept it and obey. Amen? But the Jews, God's people, were marked. They They were named and labeled with this. They were the circumcised. And then there was the uncircumcised. Those were all the non-Jews. It was used even in a derogatory way. You remember when uh, David stood before Goliath and he said, you uncircumcised Philistine, who do you think you are? And and so it's like, you're you're the man with no covenant with the God of all creation. Hallelujah. Who do you think you are? That's what he was saying. So why is circumcision an important issue for the believer today, for the child of God today? Because just as God required one thing from his people in the Old Covenant, today he again requires just one thing, just one thing from his children, every one of his children in the New Covenant. And we begin to see the meaning of this Old Covenant circumcision practice, what its meaning was, reading words from Moses just before he departed in Deuteronomy chapter 30 listen to some of the words Moses understood that that this was just a symbolic thing listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 we'll begin at verse 5 then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers and the Lord your God listen to this will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. You see that? There's a change. There's a transfer. Go down to verse 19. You can see God's heart in this. Verse 19 of the same chapter, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. You see the connection there, love and obedience? Love the Lord your God, obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and so on. You remember the time in Mark chapter 12, they came to Jesus and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? 
In Mark chapter 12, look at verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered them, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You shall love the Lord your God. Here it is, spirit, soul, and body. With all your heart, your spirit. With all your soul and mind. There it is, your soul. And with all your strength, your body. We, we love him with spirit, soul, and body. You know a good follow-up message to this one tonight would be? What does that look like? What does it look like for us practically to love him, be devoted to him, with our complete being, spirit, soul, and body. Think about it. We think we know the love of God, but there's so much more, so much more. When I heard Brother Hagin one time in one of our classes stand up and say, I'm still learning how to walk the love walk, I thought, are you kidding me? If he's still learning how to walk the love walk, I'm in trouble. <clears throat> But to love God, this is what he's always been after. This is what he wants more than anything, your love, your devotion. Amen? So when you and I respond to God and what he did for us through Jesus Christ, with all of our love and devotion, at that point, we enter into this new covenant that he's prepared for us, and our hearts are circumcised, our hearts are marked, and we enter the promised land. Hallelujah. You might have a difficult time understanding how this old covenant practice of circumcision is fulfilled in the new covenant, but you wouldn't be the first one. Peter had a problem with it. All the apostles had a problem understanding it. You remember Peter in Acts 10 on the rooftop and the sheet was let down? He was having a big problem. They were 10 years in Jerusalem and never did they ever reach out beyond the circumcised, the Jews, with the gospel. And here God's trying to get them to break out of their prejudice, break out of their wrong thinking, and see the revelation of what I'm trying to show you tonight. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, oh, no, Lord, not me. And finally he says, don't call un unclean what I cleaned, basically. And he says, there's three men waiting downstairs at the door. With the, go with them without question. And they go, they take him to the house of Cornelius, these uncircumcised people. And he preaches the gospel to them. And in the middle of a sermon, what happens? They get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. And they're shocked. How is it possible that these uncircumcised are able to receive what we've received? And you'd think that Peter would have got it, right? But he still didn't get it. He goes back to Jerusalem. You get to Acts chapter 11, just a few verses later after Acts 10. And you look at verse 2 and 3. It says, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, that's the apostles, they contended with Peter, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? So there was a struggle with the, the early church, with the apostles. 
breaking out of old thinking and getting the revelation of what God was up to the whole time. And he still didn't get it because we see Paul contended with Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, it was at Antioch, and Antioch wasn't even established until Acts, in the middle of Acts 11. It was after this contention with the other apostles. You'd, you'd have thought, arguing his case there, he understood, but he still didn't get it. And Paul comes to him. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now, verses 11 through 13, Galatians 2. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, these <clears throat> uncircumcised. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. The Apostle Paul, who wasn't even one of the original 12, got it. He understood it. Paul was no, you know, he was no amateur. He was, a, he had revelation of the, this Old Testament, Old Covenant practice and what it meant. He was uh, knowledgeable of these things. He was a teacher of the law. He was trained by some of the best in the Jewish law. And yet he understood, he knew it. And you see, as he writes, and he goes on writing, that he, this revelation coming out in Romans chapter 2, for example. And let's look there quick. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, they took accolades when they were, I am of the circumcision. <clears throat> Whose praise was not from men, but from God. It's an amazing thing that God chose circumcision. You know, I could see a man who was circumcised and I didn't know it. God could have chose something else to circumcise that you could know. I mean, think about it. even the circumcision of the heart. I don't know when that actually takes place inside of you. Let's say, let's say instead of, um, let's say my left ear turned blue when I was truly born again. Let's say God made it that way. That's the system, okay? You know what we would have done with that? We'd have had the blue ear section in the church. We'd have had the, the blue ear ushers controlling everyone. Oh, no, you're not a blue ear. You sit over there, you know. We would have done stuff like that. But God made it a personal thing between you and him. So I cannot judge you. Amazing, isn't it? It's very powerful. <clears throat> Listen to this. Colossians 2.11. In him, in Christ, you were, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. My favorite one is in Philippians chapter 2, actually chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, it starts out saying there, beware of the dogs. That's the, that's the doctrine police. Those are the ones that will rip you up when you don't agree with them. And then he says, beware of the evil workers. Well, that's pretty understood what that is. And then he says, beware of the mutilation. Hmm, what's that? Well, the word actually is to castrate. Beware of the castrators? 
Who are they? Well, in the very next verse, if you don't understand it in context, he says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no regard for the flesh. So the, the, the castrators are the ones who would poo-poo your worship and say, oh, stop getting so excited. You shouldn't act like that in church. You, you know, here you are wanting to worship God, express your heart for all that he's done, your love for him. And, and there's people who would actually say, oh, don't get, you're too loud. God's not hard of hearing. Of course, they say he's not nervous either, you know. That's right. <laughs> so don't, don't let anybody hurt or stop or hinder your worship. And so <clears throat> we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. So worship is an expression of our love, isn't it? That our hearts have truly been circumcised. But obedience is also an expression of our love. And we get in trouble when he doesn't have this from us. I think of what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it's so easy to misunderstand it and see it only one-sided. We tend to only look at those words from Jesus one way. That is the only way to prove your love to him is by keeping his commandments. And if you're not careful, if very subtly you move from obeying to show your love to working to earn his love. And you know where they did that? In Ephesians, at the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, he starts out saying, you've done well, you've kept away the false teachers, the false doctrine, you're a great church, but there's one thing I have against you. What is it? You've left your first love. And you need to repent. And you need to go back to your first love. Where you did things that you did for him because you loved him not because it was the right thing to do and the goody-goody Christian shouldn't do that. and we're supposed to, you know. No. You, in other words, we don't do these things out of duty. We do it because we love him. We serve him because we love him. Amen? That's returning to your first love. I love John Bevere said, God showed him something. The Holy Spirit said, you, there's something you need to see in this verse. And he had him read it, and he kept reading it, and he kept reading it. He'd read that verse John 14, 15, it's easy to remember because 14, 15, you know, John 14, 15. And he, he said, he read the next verses and he'd go back and read it again. Still didn't get it. He said, read it again. He went back. He must have read it like 10 times. And he would read it real slow. Finally, he got it. He saw it. And here's, here's another dimension to the, those words. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here it is. If you love me, you will be able to keep my commandments. In loving me. In other words, when we respond to his love and we love him back, something is released on the inside of us that empowers us, that it gives us the ability to obey him and do the things that please him because we love him. Do you see that side of it? Amen. It's so important to stay away from the legalism side of it. Amen. And you know, in this day that we live with so much fear, Loving him is the greatest cure against fear about anything, even the coronavirus. Loving him is the greatest cure. Look, 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. 
But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When you begin to understand the love of God, you understand how much he loved you and me. Then you understand what he did for you and me, what he's provided for you and me, the covenant, the relationship that's ours. Then you're not afraid. Amen. So we walk in love. We're perfected in love. We're delivered from fear. Amen. Amen. And so it's taking love to a whole new level. So tonight, I just, I'm already out of time, but I want to just say there's just one thing that God wants from you and me. And if we could recalibrate our hearts and really submit to him in this and say, you have my heart. I am your child. I belong to you. I hold nothing back. Every decision, I'm not afraid to bring every decision to him. And, and here, here's, here's what we should do. We bring every decision to him and we say to him, if you say yes, I'm okay. If you say no, I'm okay. Because all I want is your will for my life. Amen? We, we let die every preconceived desire. I know it sounds easy, but it, let me tell you. But it's what we got to do, folks. Because that's what real love is. Amen? Can we stand together? Hallelujah. 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 Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for everyone in this place and all those online who've been listening, Father, at the sound of our words, who've heard this word and heard this message. Holy Spirit, Cause it to sink down deep into our hearts, our understanding, God, that truly our hearts belong to you, that our hearts are circumcised. Hallelujah. And that we are in a new covenant with you because of it. Hallelujah. Father, we give you everything, our whole heart, spirit, soul, and body. We respond to you. We respond to that love. We love you back. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You're so good to us. You're so good to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that promised land. Everything that we are and have in Christ. Thank you for that promised land. The love you show us through healing, through deliverance, through peace, supernatural peace. Freedom from fear. Freedom from anxiety and depression. Hallelujah. Father, we step into it. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah.